Okay, act like men. Five charges from the Apostle Paul. This is what the Lord put on my heart to preach to, to you guys, but to me, everything I put together is a challenge to me as well. I thought, thought you'd like, hopefully I've got some Churchill lovers here. Just that, that's, that's probably the manliest picture I've ever found, I, I could find. So I, I love that picture, but it also, just anytime I think of Churchill, I'm inspired by his great speech, we will never surrender. I baptize that, you know, in a Christian sense, you know, we will never surrender in the Christian life. We will never surrender. Never, never, never. But I want to open with a quote from another Christian great uh, saint of the past, Charles Spurgeon. I think some, some, some of you all heard of Charles Spurgeon. I think this quote cap- encapsulates what Paul charges in our text in 1 Corinthians 16 that we're going to look at and what really what I want to challenge you with this morning. So here's what Spurgeon said to his uh, 19th century uh, congregation in, in Britain. If you don't know, he's a British preacher uh, in, the ni- in the late 19th century. He says, Brothers, you and I are soldiers, soldiers of the cross, and at this hour worlds are rushing to the shock. The fight is thickening, and we are warriors. Shame upon the cowards who stays from the battle. The trumpet is sounding today. Muhammad has awakened from his sleep. The Muslim, with bloody hands, has sought to slay our race. Isn't that amazing? This is 19th century. No different 100 years later. The Hindu, too, the meek-eyed Hindu, his eyes have glared like the eye of his tiger and his lips have smacked with gore. The battle is raging. Not only these, popery has aroused itself. You know, this is an attack on Catholicism. <laughs> not, not as much of a threat today. With mighty effort, it is endeavoring to win back his, its, this gem of the sea, the fir- this first isle of the ocean. Infidelity, too, is on the stir. Her faithful followers are flying here and there. Everything is awake except the church of God. Oh, wake up, brothers. Wake up now that the, that the fight is at its fullest fury. Now is the time for our most desperate valor, our most earnest zeal. Isn't that great? He would also say sometimes to his congregation, I can imagine him just screaming it, Wake up, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Wake up, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Men who claim they follow Christ need to wake up and take their posts in the thick of the battle. Amen? And I think this is what Paul is saying to these elders and leaders of the Corinthian church who, I believe, uh, when you study the, the especially the New Testament uh, church structure, elders and the main leaders would have always been men. So when Paul addresses specifically the leaders, he's always going to be talking specifically to men. And this is who I think he's talking to when, uh, let's, get, let's just look, look at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. And if you read it in context, it's really fascinating because he's just kind of giving greetings and talking to him. And then out of the blue, he just gives these charges, these great charges, these five challenges. Who I, and I think he's, he's, after all that he said in the letter, he wants to bring this home to the, the leaders, especially to the, to the men of the church. These five charges. Be on the alert. It's verses 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians 16. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men or be men or be courageous men. There's, it's a one word in the Greek. It's a, it's, a, it's a very strong word. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. These are our five charges from the Apostle Paul that, as I said, I think specifically were originally meant to men, so they still apply to us 2,000 years later. But before we look at each one in detail, I just want to look at Paul's charge to the Corinthian male, specifically, act like men. I just want to comment a little bit on this this particular charge. Be men of courage. Act like men. 
I think the, the simple answer to why he's saying this to the Corinthian leaders, the Corinthians, Corinthian men, is they weren't acting like men, right? They were really acting like children. He even uses this imagery in the letter earlier on. And to use a phrase from our current day, I kind of like this phrase, man-children. They were, they were man-childs. They were man-children. The Corinthian, Corinthian man-children, the Peter Pan syndrome is another way it's been said. You, know, you don't want to grow up. You just want to stay Peter Pan. And if you just read the first 15 chapters of 1 Corinthians, you just, just, I gave a little, I have a little summary here of the, the kinds of things. Women, I'm sure, were involved in some of these things. They had their own issues. But largely men were probably the main culprits in these things. They were divided over celebrity preachers, putting them in the place of Christ. They were bringing lawsuits against their fellow Christians. Some were engaging in drunkenness at the Lord's table. One man was sleeping with his mother-in-law. A lot of men were having sex with the Corinthian prostitutes, which were aplenty. You can read about in the outside literature how many prostitutes were there at the temples all throughout Corinth. And still others were abandoning their wives and getting divorces. And Paul calls them childish, selfish, carnal, immature, unloving throughout. He's, he's encouraging too. You know, Paul's, Paul's excellent with this. But, but he, he, he goes after the jugular with them. He's, he's calling them out. And I always like, you know, some people will say, you know, oh, if only our church today could be like the first century church. Well, like the first century church of Corinth? <laughs> My goodness. Sounds like, sounds like uh, the church in a lot of ways today, especially a lot of males in the American church today, doesn't it? Just different kinds of things. How do, how do we, how, how are so many, instead of sleeping with prostitutes, you got porn, you got, well, some are probably still sleeping with prostitutes, but it's amazing how so many things that were happening then, human nature has not changed, they're still happening today. So Paul give the, gives these five charges here at the end of the letter to these Corinthian man-childs. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and do everything in love. And I, as I said, I think it's pretty obvious that we would have to all admit we have quite a few Corinthian man-childs in our church today, in the American church at large. And I wanted to show this clip. This is from the movie Juno. Anybody, everybody seen Juno? It's a great movie. In fact, it has a great, I, I use another clip uh, for pro-life purposes because it's a movie about a young, a teenage girl that gets pregnant with her boyfriend. And uh, and then this one scene, she's going to the abortion clinic to, to have it aborted. And there's a there's a young girl outside, this Asian girl's outside, and she's just very lovingly, you know, protesting, but she has just a, her little sign and she talks with Juno and she tells Juno that the baby has fingernails. And, and when Juno goes into the abortion clinic, she's looking around as she's filling out this thing and, and she's hearing the, the fingernails everywhere and she leaves. And, and so she, she keeps the baby. Um, so that's, that's a great scene. But this, I like this scene because I feel like of all the, the, the movies, and I've seen many of them, the big movie buff, this, this, this captures kind of the quintessential man-child in, in a movie. I think this is, this is well done. So let me uh, play this clip. I think it's, I think it's loud enough. Like what? Be a rock star? Don't mock me. 
Grow up, Mark. I love that. Your shirt is stupid. <laughs> that's the that's the that's the, that's the great. I, I think it's Soundgarden too. I grew up listening to Soundgarden. I think it's a Soundgarden shirt. Your shirt is stupid. I love that. Yeah, Mark. Mark is a man child. He's selfish. I still have things to do, even though he's married. He's already agreed to her that he's gonna they're gonna adopt this baby. He says, no, but I still have things I want to do for myself. I, I have all these things I want to do. He's childish. He has these adolescent dreams of becoming a rock star. You know, he wants to, he still wants, he still thinks he's going to become a rock star. He's cowardly. He's not willing to take on the responsibilities that he has as a man, as a husband, as a committed uh, to adopting this child. He even says, I, I never said I'd be a good father. I never said I'd be a good father. Mark is a man child. And, and one other example that I use just, just from the culture, because uh, this is sadly such a popular thing in, the, in the, many of the comedies today, call them porn, you know, porn comedies pretty much, but tragically many of the comedy heroes are man-child. You know, this, is, this is what so many, when they go to see movies, this is what they see. They see men that are basically man, you know, man-children. Uh, an example I like to use, there's a plethora of examples, but one I like to use is Will Ferrell. Uh, you know, like Step Brothers is, is a classic example. It's, it's getting a little older now. I haven't used this example in a while, but I need to, need to update my movie examples but stepbrothers Farrell if you haven't seen it and you shouldn't see it but Farrell and his brother can't move out of their parents house right and they're they're just obsessed they have no meaning in life no purpose they're just obsessed with infantile pleasures they can't stop masturbating they are just man children i mean these guys are just the ultimate man children and it's funny in the film you know it's impossible really to watch Will Farrell of course and not laugh but for all grown-up men who actually take care of man-children living in their houses right now all over America, it's not that funny. <laughs> it's not funny to them. In, in, in a real-life situation, the Will Ferrell is, is not, is not a, a comedy. It's a tragedy. And, and in fact, in the ancient world, in the Middle Ages, if you read about you know, the kind of guys like this, man-children in that time, they would probably be beheaded. You know, they'd probably be just, just put to death. But I think you, know, you read about how people were treated if, if they weren't. You know, rising up to that that chivalrous type type expectation at that time, but sadly we've lost a lot of that. But also, what frustrates me about Will Ferrell, if you know about his life, in real life he's not a man child, even though he's pretty much a man child in all his characters. In real life, he's been married to the same woman for 25 years. He has three children. I read about how he's very generous to charity. I don't know if he's you know professes to be a believer or anything, but he's at least a responsible adult. But the person that everyone goes and sees is this fake you know man child that he portrays in the movies and that's who sadly many males in our culture are emulating and and imitating but i think this is a crisis you know i think it's pretty clear that we have a crisis of manhood a crisis of masculinity a crisis of of men not just in the church but also in our culture and and uh, you know as a pastor and i'm sure keith keith could share the same i've counseled many couples who were you know on the verge of divorce and trying to save their marriage and I wouldn't say in every case, you know, it was the man. There was definitely cases where the woman was, was I would say, more cold and just there was no, no way to, to bring reconciliation. But in most cases, I would say this is the main problem. You know, whether, whether it was, you can go down the list of the things, whether it's porn or video games, it was all these adolescent type, uh, man-children type, type uh, reasons that, that led to the end of that marriage. 
And, um, and so this is, this is really uh, an epidemic, I think. There, there, there are too many like Mark, too many that won't grow up, that won't take on the responsibilities that, that they need to. And like I said, you know, I, we, we, could, we could spend all morning talking about the problems of what's going on in our culture. You know, you just watch anything or part of anything, you see how many problems there are just outside the church. Sadly, there's so many problems inside the church, but, you know, the, the feminization of men outside the church, the confusion, really, of just what it is to be a man or be a woman. I think uh, the last I checked, some, some say there are 38 different genders. Some say there's 72. I've seen the, as high a number as 72. And then, and then I had to give you one, you know, just that this was just uh, earlier this year. This, this is an article uh, from the Enquirer. Men's cuddling group aims to redefine masculinity and heal trauma. This was just a little, little earlier this year. And this is, of course, like an extreme example, but, but, you know, we should take this very seriously. You know, just like Spurgeon said earlier, Muhammad's awake, the Hindu is awake, but this, this, this is something new. <laughs> Even Spurgeon didn't see this kind of thing, where, where we have this direct attack on what it is to be made in the image of God, our identity as, as men and women. There's only two genders. Uh, in case you were, in case you were asking, there's only two. There's not 38. There's not 72. And, uh, and I think this is a systematic plan ultimately from the enemy to destroy and to mix everything up. This is what he does. He does it with sex. That's, this is what homosexuality and, and gay marriage. He does it against marriage and he's doing it with even our identity of what we, who we are uh, as men and as women. And so just, just really, uh, really a tragic, tragic situation. And, and even some of the people I've read, it's interesting, some of the historians have talked about, and they, they get in trouble when they say this, as you know, you know, you say anything like this in a, in a university now, you, you're going to get fired. But, but this one particular is very controversial because she just says the truth, but she talked about how many civilizations, Roman Empire is one example, but she gave many examples of civilizations that their end, when they finally ended, it did have this androgynous uh, mixing of the genders and, and males becoming more feminized. This is this This seems to be the end of of any civilization, you can see that happening. And this is also why Jordan Peterson, by the way, uh, from Canada, has kind of arisen as this, you know, celebrity of some sorts. Uh, he's a psychologist. He's become this, this phenomenon. And it's mainly because of this crisis. And I, I, I was telling, talking to Pastor Keith about him. I really like him. I don't think he's a Christian. But he, it's, he's amazing because he believes that the greatest truth, the greatest teaching is to be found in the what he calls myths, but he, call, he says in the Bible. The stories in the Bible and Jesus as the ultimate archetypal, archetypical perfect man. Uh, the Bible has the answers basically to all our problems. And so he's really bringing back, you know, biblical teaching and just common sense saying things like act like a man, clean your room, stand up straight, take on your responsibility as a husband, as a as a father. And fulfill your, you know, be courageous. I mean, this, this, it's, it's like Dave Ramsey with money, you know, you know, everybody does terrible things with money, so Dave Ramsey just gives common sense, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's brilliant. And it's the, it's the same thing with Jordan Peterson, you know, it's like, everybody's saying such crazy things, he starts saying just normal things that we should know about what it is to be, be an adult, and, uh, and he becomes a phenomenon, but you, you should listen to, you should read his book, 12 Rules for Life, you know, read it with a critical eye, and, and I think there's a lot of things to, to baptize in that. My wife and I read it together. And uh, and also, he's been on Joe Rogan. If you ever listen to, to Joe Rogan's podcast, real popular thing as well. But but on that one, and one of them, I'll send it to you if you if you email me. It's amazing. He even has this large segment where he talks about Jesus. And he says, you know, we today need to take up our cross and follow Jesus. But he, it's fascinating because he's talking about kind of the archetypical, you know, he's, he's almost treating him like a, 
like a like an Achilles or a uh, you know like a the perfect figure that maybe he didn't really rise from the dead. Maybe there's no history behind it, but he's still the person to follow. So it's a it's a it's a neat thing to uh, to baptize. So back to Paul. Paul's five charges to us, and, and as I said, even though even though even if we're not man children, we all have growing up to do, right? We all have growing up to to do to be mature men in Christ that we're called to be, that Ephesians 4 language of becoming that mature uh, man in Christ. We all have growing up, and sadly, we all have that Mark. We all have Mark within us, that guy Mark. We all have him within us, and we need to crucify him, right? We need to, we need to let Christ drive him out. And so that's what I hope to help do that with uh, Paul's charges to us uh, with, these, with these great statements. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Do it in love. The first four in the Greek, the first four in the original language are all military terms. They're all common words that are used in, in Roman literature and Greek literature all throughout this time period for literal fighting, literal type military warfare uh, type language. And, th- and this makes sense with Paul because Paul regularly uses the language and imagery of his day, whether it's athletic metaphors or military metaphors, to parallel it to the Christian life, because he really does look at the Christian life as warfare. And here's, here's just one of many examples. In 2 Corinthians, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And that would be like demonic strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's powerful. And I know y'all went through Acts. You just finished going through Acts. And really, the book of Acts, what's so cool about it is you, you in his letters, you get all this uh, military imagery and warfare, but in Acts, you get the actual historical reality of what that looks like. And what does it look like? It's Paul, you know, ri- arriving to a city on a, on a boat or a ship, and him going to the synagogue, preaching Christ and him crucified, going to the marketplaces, reasoning with anyone who happens to be there, going to the philosophers like he did in Athens, praying, discipling uh, men and women from house to house. This is how you demolish demonic strongholds. That's how you do it. Paul has given us the blueprint of how you go city to city and demolish strongholds and win them for Christ. That's why Paul makes it clear we need to be awake and alert to these things. And and another uh, thing I love in Acts is, you know, he's always leading riot. A riot occurs. A riot erupts. Uh, everywhere Paul goes, a riot erupts. And I think that that's largely because not just the people hate his message, it's because there's these, this spiritual warfare that's happening. Some some great Christian leaders like uh, N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, he made a great point one time. He's, he said, you know, Paul, everywhere Paul goes, Riots erupt, but everywhere I go, they serve me tea. You know, why is that, you know? Everywhere I go, they serve me pancakes. What, what, what is this? Why am, where are the riots? We should be causing riots. You know, if Trump, Trump leads, you know, riots happen with Trump, but that's because he says stupid things, right? I mean, we should be leading riots because we're preaching the gospel, because we're preaching Christ and Him crucified, right? Alright, so the first charge. Be on the alert. Be on the alert. Another translation I like says, be vigilant, be vigilant. And again, this, so this is a military word. This is a military word for like a sentry who was on watch so they could warn of the enemy coming. 
And here's just an example of this actual word in the Greek. This is the actual word from one of the apocryphal books called First Maccabees. So this is, this is like it, the word being used in its literal sense. It says, So when the sun had set, Jonathan commanded his troops to be alert and to keep their arms at hand so as to be ready all night for battle. And he stationed outposts all around the camp. They need to be on alert for the enemies. They need to be at their posts, ready, sober-minded. That's what Christian men should be. We should be at our posts. We should be in the thick of the battle. We should be on alert. And this same word is used throughout the New Testament in different contexts. But So we don't know exactly what, what was specifically in Paul's mind, but maybe all of them were in Paul's mind. But what, it, what does the Christian need to be alert about? What does he need to be ready for? Jesus' the second coming. That's used a lot, especially in the Gospels. Watch. Remember, that's what Jesus says at the end of Mark. Watch. He will come in a day you are not expecting him. Personal temptation. Pray and watch so that you will not fall into temptation. So that personal temptation that we face daily, that we need to be on alert against. False teachers. The devil. We were talking about 1 Peter 5, 8. Be on alert. The devil is roaring and, and seeking whom he may devour. And then even this word and Jesus uses in Revelation 3 to the church. Wake up. It's that same word. It's be on the alert. Wake up. We need to wake up and be aware that we are daily in a battle. If you don't think you're in a battle, then you've already lost. You're, you're just a, a puppet of the enemy. If you're not, if you don't realize you're in that battle, the world wants to destroy us. It wants to destroy our marriages, our kids, our life. And so we have to be on alert. And and I like Paul gives us kind of the, the key thing that we should be doing while we're being alert and to help us be alert, which is pray. That's exactly what Jesus said to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Pray and watch so you not fall into temptation. And Paul says here, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert, that same word, in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So prayer should be accompanying the uh, the alertness and the watching. Second charge, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. And the article there is very emphatic. The faith. The faith. What is Paul talking about? In Corinthians, in that context, and really everywhere he writes, he's talking about what he had just said in 1 Corinthians 15. And so let's read that. If you just flip back one chapter, I want you to read that because this is where we should stand. This is the firm bedrock of our faith that we should be standing. And what is that? Uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And then he says a very, the most simple, clear, creedal kind of statement of what the gospel is. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was, ra- he was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Peter and he appeared to the twelve and on and on. But it's Christ's death and, and burial and resurrection. This is the bedrock of our faith that we should be standing on. If we're standing on that, then we, we are immovable. We are immovable. It's like the rock, the house built on the rock in Jesus' parable versus built on the sand. And, and it's really cool, too, that this might have been in Paul's uh, mind as well because this word for stand firm, that's the same word that's used here that Paul uses. And in the context, this is the Exodus. And Mo- <clears throat> Moses says to the Israelites, do not be afraid, stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so stand firm 
it's, it's almost as if, if, if Paul did have this in mind, he's basically, he's basically saying, stand to the Corinthians, stand and behold the cross and the resurrection. That's our true redemption. This was just a picture. This was a, a physical redemption, but the true redemption is what Christ did at the cross. That's the new Exodus. That's the final Exodus. And the same way the Israelites beheld the Exodus, we should, be, we should behold the cross and the resurrection. And that, that should be daily where we take our stand, where we're firmly footed. And even some, a few parallels in his letters, he'll say, stand firm, same, same word, in the Lord instead of the faith. So see, he, it's the same to him because faith, what is faith? Faith is only as good as its object. Faith in the object, which is Christ and his death and resurrection. That's what our faith is in. So where are you standing? Where are you standing? All else is sinking sand besides Jesus, right? Third charge, act like men. I love this one. Be men. Be valiant. One translation says, be valiant. Be courageous men. So what, how do, how do we obey this? How do we be men? Well, first and foremost, you gotta grow a beard. So that's, this is, this is the first step. Of course, I'm joking with it, but it's fun. Aaron had a beard. You know, King David had a beard. The prophet Ezekiel had a beard. Ezra had a beard. Jesus had a beard. Bilbo says in Tolkien's The Hobbit to the dwarves who all had beards, may your beards never grow thin. <laughs> and this is the, this is the, the polar opposite of, of manhood. I found, you know, this is the, the, the guy in the onesie, uh, drinking a latte. And here's, here's King Leonidas from 300. So, and of course he has a beard. But for real, what should we do when, uh, it says act like men? What does this mean? As I said, in the, in the original context, this, uh, this li- the literal use of this word was always in the context of battle and being courageous. It was if being a man is always like used synonymously. In fact, it's the same word. The same root word in Greek for man is the word for courage. Isn't that interesting? So to be a man is to be courageous. And, it, and you know, in the ancient world, that, that usually consisted in battle. That usually consisted in a, in a physical sense. And I, I didn't put, put the other verse on there. Before we get to this one, and I'll just read it to you, but in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 12, this exact word is used probably in Paul's mind, and it's when Joab is talking to uh, his brother Abishai, and they're about to go to battle, and he says this to his brother, Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous, the same word, for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. And it's also the same word used in... Uh, in Deuteronomy and Joshua, when, remember, God says to Moses three times, what does he say? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And then Moses says it to Joshua three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And uh, another archetypical example of this is Nehemiah. I love uh, this passage from Nehemiah. This is when Nehemiah is told, basically, that these guys are going to kill him, and so he needs to go hide. And this is Nehemiah's response. It says, When I entered the, the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehedabal, who was confined at home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you, and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, Should a man like me flee? I love that. And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Should a man like me flee? That is exactly what Paul is talking about. I think preeminent in Paul's thought here is, is being a man means to be courageous in the thick of battle, which he have, like he said, not the weapons of the world. The weapons of warfare is a spiritual battle that we wage. So we need to not be cowards and run from that battle. We need to 
be at our post. We need to fulfill our responsibilities and be faithful. If you've seen uh, American Sniper, you've seen American Sniper. Great movie. One of my favorite scenes is when um, the dad's talking to the to the to his two sons. One of the sons is the one that grows up to 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 go go to go to go to war, and he says to the sons, "It was after they get in a fight," and he says, "You know, sons, there are three types of people in this world. There are sheep, there are wolves, and there are sheepdogs. The sheep can't protect themselves; they need people to protect them. The wolves attack the sheep; they're evil." Sheepdogs have the same power as the wolves, but they don't attack, they protect. They protect the sheep from the wolves. You guys are sheepdogs. You're sheepdogs. I love that. I think Christian men, we need to be sheepdogs. We need to be the sheepdogs in the church. The last military charge is be strong. And by itself, it could, it could, it could really be kind of a, you know, self-help, you know, self-motivating type statement, but you parallel it with Ephesians 6.10, he uses the same word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. So this is clearly in Paul's mind. He's saying be strong, but be strong in the Lord. This isn't something we conjure up by our own power. We need it from Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is how David was strengthened. I love this passage hidden away, tucked away in 1 Samuel 30. It says, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I love that. So some translators say he found strength in the Lord his God. How did he do that? It, you know, it doesn't tell us, but in some way he, he managed to call out to God and God gave him strength. God gave him power in this moment of distress. I love that. We can do this anywhere. We can do this anytime. But even better, our situation is even better than David's. So we need to be strong, but strong from the Lord, from his inexhaustible strength. Lastly, I think Paul puts specifically this Christian stamp. If you just take these verses like I've done out of the context and just by themselves, you really could obey them literally as a Stoic philosopher or a Roman soldier or a Israeli soldier. They're not, they weren't specific, other than the faith, they weren't specifically Christian. But when, when he says at the end, let everything be done in love. This was something that the Stoics, the, the Romans, the Greeks, this isn't something they talked about. Love, compassion, the kind that, that, that Christ showed the world, they didn't know that this was, this was a new thing that the world received through Christ and is unique to the New Testament, really. And Paul even uses this, uses this great word, agape, love, uh, three times in these uh, last ten verses of this uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians 16. And for Paul, of course, this is not just some emotional, subjective, abstract idea of love. This is this Greek word agape. It's the, there's four words for love in Greek. And this is the strongest one when it talks about sacrificial love. The sacrificial love that was shown definitively in Christ at the cross. This, this is love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when Paul, again, just like be strong in the Lord here, Everything should be done in love. What love? What's love, Paul? Christ. It's the love of Christ. It's, it's emulating Him. The love comes from Him. And let me parallel this to show, to make this even clearer. He says similar things in Ephesians 3. If you look at Ephesians 3, starting at verse 16, he says, Paul says, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Strengthen is that same word for being strong. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You see, that's what he means by love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The love of Christ is what he's talking about. And this makes sense because who was the perfect man, according to Paul? If we could ask Paul, who was the perfect man? Who was the perfect man that we should imitate? It's Jesus of Nazareth. And this is even the agreement of many secular and people who aren't even Christians. They would all admit no one was more beautiful. No one was more good. No one was more compassionate and loving than this Jesus of Nazareth that lived 2,000 years ago. So I think for Paul, what does it mean to be a man? Ultimately, it's to walk as Jesus did. It's to love like Jesus did. It's to imitate him. He even says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ, Jesus was completely in control of his emotions. He even wept. It's not unmanly to weep. Jesus wept. He was pure in every way. He was completely selfless, giving his all for everyone else. He only used his power to protect and to save us all from the wolves. He was the ultimate sheepdog, right? The good shepherd. But he's, but he needs other sheepdogs. He needs us to be sheepdogs for him, the good shepherd. What can God do with just one man walking as Jesus did, loving as Jesus did? Paul's a great example. Just one man pretty much single-handedly <laughs> saw the Roman Empire turned upside down by his walking as Jesus did, by his loving as Jesus did and preaching that immortal message, the immortal gospel. So I'll just close with uh, a recommendation on some books because leaders are readers. We need to be reading. You need to be in, of course, the Word, God's Word, but you need to be reading great books as well. And so I'd say, first of all, you need to be in the Word every day. It's not just some cliche. You need to be in the Bible daily. You know, if you ask David, King David, what is a man, King David? Blessed is the man who what? Meditates on God's Word day and night. That's that's what David went to, first and foremost. We need to be in God's Word every day. But these are my three favorite and the, the ones that have been most influential on me and I think that help us the most to become more like Christ. Of all the books that I've ever found, St. Thomas Kempis, The Imitation of Christ, Augustine's Confessions, and Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship, these three particular are incredible for doing exa- accomplishing exa- exactly what we're talking about what it is to become a man. These You read these books and you're humble and obedient and listen, listening to what they're saying and, and seeking Christ through them, you'll become better men. You'll become more like Christ. You'll grow up more. So the, these these accomplish that purpose for really what I think is the measure of a great book. For me as a Christian, what's the measure of a great book? How much does it push me to work towards Christ? That's That's the measure of a great book. And these three are the greatest outside of the scriptures that I found to do that. So... Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous men, be strong in the Lord, but do everything in the love of Christ. Amen? We can, we can, we want to talk about anything?